Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for this afternoon where we remember uh, the Good Friday, um, the sorrowful Good Friday. Lord, we thank you for the ways in which you entered human history as a human to show for us what it looks like to be truly human, to be submitted to the will of the Father, and to carry that out uh, even to the point of death. Lord, we ask that as we reflect upon the the seven last words of Christ, that we would um, see clearly, that we would hear well, and that we would model our lives after his. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As a priest, I'm often asked why it is that the church has historically called this day Good Friday. It's a day that invites us to consider Jesus, it's a day that invites us to consider the most evil, uh, unjust, and heinous execution of all time. So how, amidst all that evil, can we call it good? Um, Henry Nouwen provides us uh, with a poignant articulation of at least one helpful reason when he writes, the mystery of God's love is not that he takes our pain away, but that he first wants to share it with us. The truly good news is that God is not a distant God, a God to be feared and avoided, a God of revenge, but a God who is moved by our pains and participates in the fullness of the human struggle. What um, Henry Nouwen is describing there is something we like to call the incarnation. Uh, It's the taking on of a human body by God in the person of Jesus. We often discuss the incarnation during the seasons of Advent and Christmas. We have these beautiful images of a baby lying in a manger and swaddling cloths. But I've become convinced that the incarnation actually reaches its climax, its truest and fullest form on Good Friday. Because to be human is to die. If Jesus had entered into the human experience in every other way but this, the incarnation would remain incomplete. During our liturgy, we've been reading the seven last words of Christ, and we've been lighting candles around the room. Um, during the season of Lent, we've, we've been using this art installation as a reminder for what it is to be human, the experiences that we have. In this episode of Christ's life, we see many of these seasons represented. Let's look at the first together. The first of Jesus' last words comes from Luke's gospel. Jesus, the sinless one, has just been thoroughly beaten and sentenced to death. He's being led to the place called Golgotha, or the skull. As he takes each arduous, excruciating step, stumbling along the way, the people who watch him hurl hurtful insults at him. Take heart, 
Jesus knows what it is to be misunderstood, doubted, and even abused. His experience is utterly human, and yet his response is almost unfathomable. Father, forgive them. While the world around him wages war, Jesus demonstrates that to be human is to make peace. Luke tells us that Jesus is not alone in his execution. On his left and on his right are two criminals, likely insurrectionists, who are also being crucified. One of them mocks Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other man rebukes him. He acknowledges that Jesus is the king, and he even in his words affirms the resurrection when he says to a man dying beside him, when you come in your kingdom, remember me. He asks for mercy. Take heart, friends. Jesus knows what it is to be mocked, to be misunderstood. But rather than use his words to justify himself, Jesus chooses to comfort and to show mercy with these words. Truly, I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. With these words, Jesus shows us that to be human is to gather. Just days before in the city of Jerusalem, Jesus lamented. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Despite the rejection that Jesus faced to the last moment of his life, he gathered all those who are willing to come under his protective embrace. John paints the next scene for us. Soldiers are gambling for Jesus' garments. Why? Well, we're told explicitly that this was to fulfill the words from Psalm, Psalms 22, verse 18, written about this very scene about the anointed one of God having this very thing happen to them. But I think there's probably another reason that's viable. Um, throughout Scripture, throughout the Gospels, there are various accounts of people touching just the hem of Jesus' garments. In fact, in, in Matthew, we're told, as many touched him were healed. I think the soldiers were trying to take some of that power maybe out of some sort of superstitious understanding of some thinking that they could take it for themselves. Take heart. Jesus knows what it is to be exploited. And yet in that moment, he demonstrates that his concern is not for himself. 
Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, John, Behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. While Jesus is being forced to part from all those who he loves and care about, cares about, he demonstrates that to be human is to embrace. He embraces his mother with his words. He ensures that she'll be cared for even after he is gone. Next, Mark describes Jesus' darkest hour. It's noon, but you never could have guessed it. Thick shadows cover all parts of the ground as far as the eyes can see. Jesus has lived his entire life with a joyful awareness of his Father's presence. And in this moment, he is utterly alone. Take heart, friends. Jesus knows what it is to feel like God has abandoned you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus models for us how to present our real and raw selves to God in moments of chaos and desperation. Jesus yields not to cynicism, not to rage, but to the native language of God's faithful people over the centuries. He shows to be human is to lament. John picks up the story with another detail. In his last hour, Jesus said something to fulfill another scripture that was written hundreds of years before from Psalm 69. In that passage, Jesus complains, uh, in, in that passage, the psalmist, rather, complains of being parched and being offered vinegar to drink while people around him mock him. Take heart, friends. Jesus knows what it is to suffer from lack, to be neglected. I thirst, he says from the cross. These words remind me a little bit of the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane um, when Jesus says, Father, take this cup from me. In the, in the acknowledgement of his thirst, we see the desire to survive that is innate in every human. It's a, the tendency to hold on. But Jesus, of course, didn't stop there in the garden, and he doesn't stop there on the cross either. There are two final sayings of Jesus that we will soon hear read. And as we read them, I, I want to invite you to consider what experience is Jesus entering into? And how does his response both model for us as well as enable us to be truly human. Take heart. Jesus knows what it is to let go and to die. To yield and trust God in the midst of chaos and confusion is to be human as God intended it and as Jesus displayed for us. 
Often when we speak of the incarnation, we focus on Jesus identifying with us. It's very important, of course, but it's just one side of the coin. Jesus comes not just to identify with us, but so that we might identify with him. He experienced temporal pain that we might experience eternal joy. He was called cursed by God that we might be called child of God. He tasted death that we might drink deeply of his life now and forevermore. I'd like to close with an excerpt from Colossians chapter 2. In it, Paul speaks to the implications of the life that we have available to us because of the work of Christ on that good Friday. Paul says this. My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You received Christ Jesus, the master. Now live him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do as you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Ours is a God, as Henry Nouwen asserted, who enters into the fullness of the human struggle with a, with a purpose that we might enter into the fullness of of the divine victory. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the beauty of the story of the crucifixion. It's a paradoxical statement, but it is, uh, you're in the business of paradox. Lord, we pray that you would help us to uh, continue to reflect upon Christ, to live lives that are marked with gratitude to live lives that are empowered by the work that he did on the cross to imitate and to walk in truth and light and life all the days of our lives. We pray this through Christ in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.